You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Welcome, good afternoon, assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from the Drive Time Show, Friday, 23rd of December, 2022. It is that time of the year. It is coming up uh, to the end of the year, and uh, it is that time between Christmas and New Year, where, where we always tend to reflect back on the year, um, and this year being 2022, where has it gone? Um, and today we're going to be looking over the month of July on the Drive Time Show. But before we do that, let's see what was happening in the world um, during the month of July. Um, the world was recovering from coronavirus. Monkeypox was the concern on everyone's lips in July. And Germany was surpassing a thousand cases of the virus. July saw historical inflation rates in Sri Lanka reaching a record 54.6% and we're crying over 11%. Um, And the default of the country's debt. Closer to home, our esteemed Prime Minister, um, who won one of the greatest um, and the biggest majorities um, in recent uh, decades in this country, Boris Johnson announced on the 7th of July, that he would be resigning as the leader of the Conservative Party after a series of political controversies. And who can forget the heat waves of July? We talk it heat waves, yeah, it was hot, which had uh, some covering their windows with tinfoil to keep cool. The Met Office issued its first red warning for extreme heat on July the 8th, which affected all of central and southern England and uh, was in place for 18 and 19th of July. On the 15th of July, it declared a national emergency after the red warning was put in place. On July 19th, a record temperature of 40.3 degrees was recorded and verified by the Met Office in Conings Bay, England, breaking the previous record set in 2019 of 38.7 degrees centigrade or Celsius or 101.7 degrees Fahrenheit, which is uh, which was in Cambridge in England. The heat waves caused substantial disruption to transportation. Uh, climatologists said that the extreme heat was due to climate change. There were some weird and wonderful and some tragic uh, incidences also. Um, uh, the weird one, um, 6th of July, free noodles was offered to young voters to boost education, boost election turnout. This was ahead of the upper, This was ahead of the Japanese upper house election, where a, a ramen chain was offering free noodles to young people to counter the widespread low turnout of younger voters. As I said uh, on uh, in the early July, our prime minister at that time, Boris Johnson, resigned. Um, he blamed the herd instinct at Westminster for his resignation. Uh, tragically. The former Prime Minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, was shot dead. Um, The longest-serving Prime Minister of Japan, uh, the former Prime Minister Shinzo Shinzo Abe, was shot dead on Friday morning um, while giving a campaign speech. As uh, we already spoke about, the state of emergency was declared in Sri Lanka and as the President fled uh, to Maldives on a military jet, um, in July, the European Union launched a legal case against the UK over the Northern Ireland Protocol, um, where EU expressed anger over MPs backing legislation overriding the post-Brexit arrangement for Northern Ireland.
by, launch, by launching four legal cases against the government of the United Kingdom. And of course, the debate between Liz Truss, our former Prime Minister, um, and Rishi Sunak, our current Prime Minister, was stopped after a presenter fainted. Uh, the second TV debate between the two Conservative leadership candidates, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, was stopped because the presenter, Kate McCann, fainted, putting an end to a bitter clash over funding for the NHS and tax cuts, for which, as we sit in December, we are still seeing the effects of the mini-budget, the strikes, uh, the, the, the NHS, um, uh, inflation, high mortgage rates. Um, uh, as we said, July was uh, five months ago, but um, we are still uh, suffering the effects of uh, those debates and what was discussed on this, those debates by our former and current leader. And I think uh, looking looking up uh, the weirdest news of July um, was uh, from Scotland, where Scotland's first national tree-hugging champion was declared um, a 50-year-old man from Remor on the Morvan Peninsula. He was dressed in a leaf-covered uh, camouflage suit. His name is Alastair Firth. He won the overall title as the inaugural Scottish tree-hugging champion. Weird and wonderful news from July. But so, what was happening on DTS? What was uh, what were what, what were our listeners uh, keeping up to date with? Uh, so let's let's kind of explore a bit more. Um, we began the month looking at the heat waves, as I mentioned. Recent reports that uh, stated that across the world, hot days are were getting hotter and more frequently, while we were experiencing fewer cold days. Uh, the latest report from the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change stated that it's unequiv- unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean and the land. The world is beautiful and verdant, and verily, Allah, be he exalted, has made you his stewards in it, and he sees how you acquit yourself. In the United States, extreme heat is one of the leading causes of weather-related deaths killing an average of more than 600 people per year. Thus, it is extremely important that we are made aware of how to stay cool and healthy in such weather. As Muslims, we must remain modest in our attire, even in the hottest of weathers. Chapter chapter 19, verse 64, God Almighty says, And true servants of the gracious God are those who walk on the earth humbly. His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah, his Holiness Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, stated in relation to modesty, keep in mind that any limits impl- placed upon you by Islam are a means of guarding your honour and protecting you from the everyday risks that exist in society. We also covered climate change. Dr Mark McCarthy, the head of the Met Office National Climate Information Centre, said, All the heat, wa- heat waves are extreme weather events. Research shows that climate change is making these events more likely. A scientific study by the Met Office into the summer 2018 heatwave in the United Kingdom showed that it was 30 times more likely to occur now than in 1750 because of the higher concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The top 10 warmest years for the UK since 1884 have occurred since 2002. In contrast, none of the coldest years have been recorded in this century. 
Some researchers have predicted that higher temperatures, extremes, means that there is a bigger risk of regions being difficult for humans to live and work in. According to Islam, humans are entrusted to look after the earth. It is our duty to repair and pr- protect it. As the Holy Quran states, Verily we have made all that is on the earth as an ornament for it, and that we may try them as to which of them is the best in conduct. The primary cause of climate change is the increasing concentration of greenhouses, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. For example, burning fossil fuels such as oil, gas and coal as they release carbon dioxide into the air, causing the planet to heat up. Other reasons also include deforestation and agriculture. There is a large scientific consensus that humans are the leading cause of climate change. Due to deforestation, there are not enough trees in the world to offset society's carbon emissions. His Holiness the Fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, His Holiness Mirza Masur Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, spoke on the issue of climate change back in 2012. He stated, Today, natural disasters are prevalent and there is destruction all around. Storms and hurricanes are occurring in the US at a greater frequency than before. The economic crisis is worsening. Various inhabitations of the world are a threat of being submerged by water due to global warming. This was uh, a sermon delivered on the 21st of September 2012 by His Holiness. It is evident um, from uh, the sayings of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that Muslims have a religious duty to safeguard the world's natural environment. For instance, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, The world is sweet and green, and verily, Allah has appointed you as a representative and trustee over it. Let's go and, and uh, listen back to an interview uh, we did uh, with Dr. Nosheen Anwar, who is a research fellow at the Re- um, Institute of Development Studies and specialises in urban planning, infrastructure development and disaster risk mitigation. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Nosheen, for joining us today. And it's uh, a privilege for us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for inviting me uh, oh, to, to join you in this conversation. Oh, thank you. Could you start? please, by telling us a little bit more about yourself and the Institute of Development Studies. Yes, uh, so I'm an urban planner mm. and uh, by training, and um, I received my PhD in, in city and regional planning in the United States at Columbia University many, many years ago. And I'm now a research fellow in the cities cluster at the Institute for Development Studies, yeah. and uh, my work focuses quite a bit now on um, extreme heat yeah. and, um, and risk mitigation related issues, but largely focused on uh, cities in the global south. Yeah. And uh, the Institute for Development Studies um, uh, is a research center that was founded in 1966. It's an independent research institute that is based at the University of Sussex, and it has very close links with the university, but it is also financially and constitutionally independent. Hmm. And IDS has a reputation for, uh, for research and having an international outlook that is uh, one of the best in the, in the world. And in fact, um, it's, it's considered the number one um, institute for development studies in the world and has been consistently ranked as number one for international development as an, as an international development think yeah. tank by the 2020 global go-to think tank index report wow sounds 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 uh, amazing so 
therefore my next question to you is especially when you're talking about urban planning as well in the cities is there a link between heat waves and global warming because the reason why i asked that question in that way is because in the city you've got lots of tall buildings haven't you and with tall buildings with the air flowing is there a way that that can cool the heat as well is that something that you'd consider it's a great question so uh so let me answer your question um in two ways along two two lines first of all there is now a considerable amount of um, of uh, of discourse uh, that uh, an evidence that shows that heat waves are very much related to global warming and mm. the fact that heat waves are now actually increasing um are now in for instance in south asia we've seen over the last couple of years that uh, heat waves have been re- a recurring event and uh, this year in across india and pakistan which was enveloped in heat waves back to back back to back heat waves over a period of 2 months that these events actually happened much earlier in the month of march and continued non-stop until the end of april and now within the urban context we have um slightly more complex situation when it comes to to heat and this is related to the urban heat island effect which is very relevant to cities and that uh, and typically what happens is that because of the UHI or the heat urban heat island effect cities generally can't cool down at night due to the specificity of this radiative thermal moisture and aerodynamic properties mm. that cause the urban heat island effect so uh, but but even though UHIs are are very much sort of an urban phenomenon heat waves are, are more sort of you know they're, they're more regional so when you see the map of heat waves the, the the sort of heat wave that happened across south asia earlier this year yeah. uh it wasn't just specific to cities it was you know it was regional it was across these massive geographies but certainly in the urban context this kind these kinds of events when they combine with the with the urban heat island effect they do compound the uh, you know the the effects of uh, of heat waves on the human body and overall uh, in in the environment hmm Uh, we were discussing earlier about the heat wave that hit um USA and uh, on average 600 people uh die yearly in in the US but when when it comes to the South Asia um what does the heat wave mean for the people living in uh the South Asian climate yeah that's uh, an excellent question because uh, South Asia has a very long history of heat and uh, so often you know people living in south asia will say well you know what's new about heat it's always been hot in this part of the world so i i i'm currently in karachi and um you know in, in across karachi lahore and uh, cities like delhi uh, in india and elsewhere heat has been um you know a, a sort of a, a part of um, of this region's uh, weather patterns for 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 millennia but but heat waves and these one time events as well as chronic heat uh, is now impacting uh, vulnerable populations especially in these cities in in very complex ways mm. so it it the heat waves and global warming are now pushing essentially what people have been say accustomed to in terms of high temperatures mm-hmm. so the high temperatures that people are living with today in cities like delhi and karachi and lahore are not the kinds of temperatures that existed several hundred years ago or i'd say maybe even more than 150 years ago 
So the idea that because we live in South Asia and South Asia has always been hot, people can cope with it, is a bit of a moral hazard uh, problem because coping in this kind of a uh, sort of global warming and heat wave related environment and chronic heat related environment is not going to be enough. And it certainly isn't enough today at all in terms of the kinds of depth that we are seeing, um, you know, occurring in this part of the world as well as the sorts of health related um, issues that are that are beginning to emerge. Mm-hmm. And th- these heat waves, um, do they have a uh, uh, any long-term impacts on the society? Well, certainly. I mean, and, and so, much, so much of this um, aspect of long-term is also uh, somewhat, uh, um, you know, there's, there's a good deal of research that is beginning to emerge today, for instance, on the impact of heat waves and chronic heat, which is a more sustained form, form of heat. Often when people talk about heat waves, it's, you know, sort of the... Uh, the um, the issue is that well heat waves are a one time event and but chronic heat is something that is more sustained and and it could be related to you know for instance urban heat islands and and other kinds of environmental factors so within this context the impact on people's health is uh, is is a is a very critical one so uh, so for instance um, you know one of the first signs of uh, of long term effects could be for instance on on certain organs of the body such as the liver usually if you have a, a acute heat exposure um, if you don't die of it uh, you might have be in a situation where your kidneys are affected because usually those are one of the first organs that are impacted and the impact is very visible but the but the liver is also impacted by by extreme heat exposure and toxicologists certainly have done um, a, you know a fair amount of research on this and if you talk to medical experts especially toxicologists, they will say, well, you know, liver is one of the organs which is the last one to show um, some kind of, a, you know, an impact. And it's usually sort of invisible, it's hidden. And and the, the impact of, of extreme heat on the liver may not appear until, you know, many years later, as far mm-hmm. as the human body is concerned. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really interesting you talk about these long-term effects, because we don't even know what the long-term effects of COVID are going to be. I mean, we're seeing them slowly. And We don't even know if there's a link to COVID and the heat wave and the way that people are now living closer to to one another and how the heat is affecting because obviously these are airborne diseases. I mean, that could be something that we will never know much about yet. But does global warming have different consequences for different groups within society? Uh, yes, I, I do believe that. I yeah. believe that um, your your class position, uh, your um, you know the, the the kinds of infrastructural and uh, vulnerabilities that you're exposed to, um, your, your access to land, access to shelter, to housing, um, your you know racialized bodies, gender, all of these things uh, combine to sort of create or generate certain kinds of risks for yeah. specific kinds of uh, populations. So typically we might talk about the elderly uh, as being uh, at risk, but then uh, younger people who are homeless might be at risk, people who don't have access to to proper shelter or don't have access to proper or consistent health care, don't have access to clean water, uh, don't have access to uh, you know constant, consistent, uninterrupted electricity. Uh, people in these sorts of um, positions are are very much at high risk of heat exposure 
and and long-term exposure to heat-related illnesses as well. Yeah, uh, interesting on on that answer there. Uh, So therefore, what preventative measures can be taken uh, for the elderly people, in your opinion? So I think um, in many ways, Europe has uh, led the way uh, in in terms of uh, creating or developing these um, heat health warning systems, or what are called HHWSs. And uh, Portugal, I think, as early as 1999, mm. led the way on this. And then after 2003, when you know, which was a particularly unprecedented year in Europe, which saw uh, very, very nasty heat waves, and you had, uh, you know, in Paris, something like 15,000 people died. And Europe sort of developed, has developed since then, some very sophisticated heat health warning systems. And um, and this is a system that combines meteorological forecasts and public health actions that basically, you know, their primary aim is to reduce heat health-related impacts uh, on human health during hot conditions. And and these have also been combined with the heat health action plans. And, and, and the development of these sorts of early warning systems have now also come into uh, places such as South Asia. And yeah. these are, it's very important to have these kinds of plans in place because they do save lives. But then a great deal more is needed alongside that in terms of also, for instance, from the, from the perspective of urban planning, of, of building cities that yeah. are more resilient, you know, and are able to adapt to the kinds of uh, very unprecedented changes that we are seeing in terms of yeah. the climate. I, I, in, in terms of that with the city planning, are tall buildings now able to have heat pumps, for example? Is that a, an easier, better way? I, I think it's... it's, it's I mean, there's there's a fair amount of research, uh, empirical research that is coming on this now. I think it, it's really very context-driven. And and there is so much talk about, you know, how to make tall buildings, which can be built with, uh, you know, with different kinds of materials. So there's a tall building, but if it's all concrete and surrounded by asphalt, then, uh, you know, it's, it's also kind of emitting. It's also emitting. Concrete is a, you know, it's, it's a, a concrete is like, I think, number two or number three, um, you know, emitters of, uh, of greenhouse gases, um, you know, globally speaking. So it depends on what kind of tall building you're talking about. Yeah. And okay. uh, so, and, you know, and, and where that tall building is situated in terms of its relationship to the to the surrounding environment, yeah. to greenery and to, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah. So, so this is a, you know, so the response to this is also very context-driven. Context and, and I guess also data-driven as well, because you'll have to collect so much data to be able to decide on these things. Um, actually, you know, Dr. Neil, we'd love to carry on talking to you because I've got so many questions I've got to ask, but as always in a live show, we always run out of time. So really appreciate your insight into our conversation today and thank you very much for joining us and we wish you all the um, great achievements in your research um, as the fellow at the Institute of Development Studies and your speciality in urban planning. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. Thank you. And there we had Brother Hanif Khan, um, our regular, my regular uh, partner in crime on uh, uh, the Drive Time Show, who was uh, interviewing Dr. Nasheen Anwar, who is a research fellow at the Institute of Development Studies and specialises in urban planning. Um, let's uh, go on to the next topic that uh, I'll reflect upon. The, the one of the topics that we covered uh, in July, um, and that was deep thinking. 
Um, the Welsh poet William Henry Davies famously wrote this line in his ironically titled poem Leisure. A poor life, this, excuse me, a poor life, this if, full of care, we have no time to stand and stare. The focus of our show is that very thing, standing and staring, or to put it another way, thinking and reflecting. It is based on this verse from the Holy Quran. So say to them, I exhort you to do one thing, and that is that you stand before Allah, two and two, or singly and reflect. Chapter 34, verse 47. Areas of focus. So what is deep thinking's relationship with reflection? What does it mean to reflect? How should we reflect? And is it possible to go too far? To ruminate and become introspective? We have a problem today. Our lives nowadays with lockdown behind us are full of activity. Things like school runs, commuting to work, childminding, children's sports, clubs, evenings out, extracurricular activities. I mean, do we ever stop and think? Um, or, or do we just carry on like robots? And, and do, do we ever kind of self-reflect? It isn't just about how busy we are in, in our activities. Do we ever self-reflect and think and ponder over what we are doing and why we are doing it? What's the purpose of what we are doing? If we are looking to, if we are taking our children to school, is that what it's all about? Taking children to school, um, making sure that they, they are educated from an academic perspective alone so they can go on to get good grades so they can go on to good employment, so they can have a good quality and standard of life. Standard worries of parents, are they not? Or do we go and take them to extracurricular activities and the members of this book club, sporting club, football club, cricket club, um, or extra tuition? Do we ever stop and think, why, as parents... Are we doing it? Or even before parenthood, do we ever think why we do certain things? Why are we getting up so early in the morning to commute an hour, an hour and a half on various forms of transportation to get to work, to, to earn more money? Are we ever thinking why we are earning so much money? Or more importantly, what is it that drives us? What, where is that desire coming from that we want to earn more money and why do we want to earn more money? And more importantly, what are we going to do with that money we earn? That, to me, would be deep thinking and reflecting upon our purpose. Dr. Breen Brown, in her book, Daring Greatly, explored our desire to keep busy as a numbing strategy to avoid us being alone with our thoughts. Dan Pontefract, a, lead, a leadership strategist, points out how this busyness 
has meant we have less opportunity to just let our minds wander. This is crucial if we are to cre- if we are to be creative. If we are excessively busy, there is no opportunity for our mind to wander or daydream. Consequently, the ideas dry up or they do not surface at all. So, let's have a look at deep thinking against superficial thinking. Albert Einstein said, "The world as we have created it is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking." Here Einstein is possibly pointing to a very strong relationship between thought and change. Prophet Abraham on peace be on him. He did exactly that when he was trying to understand the nature of God Almighty. He considered the moon, the sun and the idols as possible contenders. But through the process of elimination and rational thought concluded none of these could be the ultimate creator. Reflecting on the idea of God led him to change his beliefs. Now, if one was to look at today, I mean, we, we I mean, I've just given an example. I've cited an example of Prophet Abraham, and we're talking what five thousand, six thousand years ago. And he kind of eliminated. He had a he he went through a thought process that eliminated all these things, and one of the things he eliminated was idol worship because he he couldn't understand that how what how does a person a man think that a, 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 an idol could assist them in any way in fact it's if you think about it it's the human being who picks up the idol who makes the idol and if the man is making the idol how is it that they could think that that idol was going to be a representative of or the the item or the being that was going to be creating the one who created the idol it again doesn't make sense does it but maybe the form of the idol has changed because thousands of years later today if one was to look at in the world we're living in today has it really changed thousands and thousands of prophets have come at different parts of the world at different times for different people in different shapes and forms at you know and and the the concept of worshipping anything or any one other than god almighty would be deemed as idolatry so or 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 having partners or creating partners alongside the creator the architect of this of this universe god almighty and and what is it that that everyone chases today what is it that everyone is kind of worshiping for is greed money and it's about me myself and i and this notion that people have started to believe that they alone themselves are the reason why they are successful yet the odd thing is when people tend to fail they never blame themselves but they always blame someone else or it's it's something they say oh it's meant to be 
Or it's God's fault. Suddenly God appears when failure in, in yourself, oneself, is, is, is something you experience. Yet you never remember or we as people forget God when we are rewarded, when we benefit for something, when we, when we achieve something good, when we are successful. It's only when we are in trouble or when we, when we experience something bad the, the word OMG is how they refer to it today and in, in today's day and age. But oh my God, shock, horror, how could that happen to me? Never say, how did I do that to myself? But how could, how could God let it happen to me? Again, something to think over. We are becoming more superficial in our thinking and so less reflective. Dennis Clausen, professor of English at the University of San Diego, San Diego, thinks so and blames it on our over-reliance on the internet. For example, when computers were allowed in his classroom, he observed that students became less inquisitive. They did not look deep inside themselves to whatever original response they might create in the depths of their own unique intellects. The answers to them were to be found in their computers or cell phones, not in their own ability to think. Steve Muller, the blogger, agrees. In the age of technology, quality thinking is difficult to come by. Instead, shallow, instinct-driven thinking prevails. Even worse, superficial thinking is promoted by the world we're living in. Vigorous thinking is no longer shining in the bright like it used to. A recent review of available research conducted by Dr. Firth of King's College London and his team also concluded that our online brain was becoming less analytical and we were losing the ability for sustained thinking. This seems to, have, this seems to be having a knock-on effect on how we store information, which in turn affects how we value knowledge. Practicing deep thinking can be life-changing. So let's look at deep thinking from an outward perspective. Understanding and appreciation can also be outward-looking, reflecting on the world around you. And you now, around you now and in the past, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, in Islam, His Holiness, Hazim Ghulam Ahmed, on whom be peace, he stressed the importance of outward reflection in understanding his claim to be the Messiah. He pointed to the parallels between the state of the Jews before the advent of Jesus, peace be on him, and the state of the Muslims before his own advent. Now let the eyes that can see, and the hearts that can be just, and the minds that can reflect ponder over this point, and weigh and consider whether the two circumstances are equal or not. Set aside even the prophecies for a while and just examine it rationally as a research scholar and see whether or not the re resemblance between the Muslims of today and the Jews of the times of, of uh, Prophet Jesus is the same as one shoe resembling the other. Carefully read the Gospels and reflect whether or not Jesus on Umbipi spoke of regarding the rabbis and the jurists of the Jews and how he exposed their dishonesty. 
can be found in the Muslim clerics of present time. It would be impossible to make such a comparison without looking at both situations as an observer. This then makes for critical thinking too. How can we ensure deep learning is taking place? Let's go and listen to an interview that was uh, that happened with Imam Aleem Mahmoud Saab of Ghana. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the draft. I'm sure, Imam Aleem. Jazakallah for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, we have been discussing chapter 34, verse 47 of the Holy Quran and the importance of reflection. We mentioned that verse in the beginning for the benefit of our listeners. It says that, Say to them, I exhort you to do one thing, and that is that you stand before Allah two and two or singly and reflect. How does it increase reflective thinking and what is the significance of praying two and two? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, uh, reflection or you say reflecting, it is uh, one of the distinctive features of Islam. You know, Islam is a religion that does not impose, you know, its opinion on you. <clears throat> so it gives you the chance to, to reflect and to ponder over something and you come out with your, you know, this thing. Because there is, uh, it is believed that in every soul Allah has imbibed that, uh, you know, the answers to those things, then and the love of Allah and uh, His, His, uh, what do you call it, uh, um, understanding, has been already created in the nature of a human being. So that is reflection. But here, if uh, we cannot uh, narrow this verse of the Holy Quran to the praying alone, like if someone may think that it is only in the course of your prayer that you are offering your five-day prayers or tahajud or whatever, and then you are reflecting. It is besides that, you know, the Quran is trying to exhort the people that they should, they should, they should reflect. How does it increase uh, reflective thinking is that, you know, you think as a single soul, as, as one individual. But when you come together, two, two, or one, one, Islam here, or this verse of the Holy Quran, is not saying make a group. It's not trying to make a group, that group thinking. But it is rather trying to say that those who have uh, the, the capacity to, to reflect, they should come together because it is quite possible that your thinking may be a slightly different from the other person and when your thinking and your reflection uh, put together with your other brother's thinking they might you know come out with a, a, even an informed decision mm. because if you read the verses before and the verses after they are talking about the you know the truthfulness of the holy prophet and other uh, about the punishment and other things and People are Allah is uh, you know admonishing them that don't don't just get up and uh, reject the truth which has come to you, but you should you should think about it and you should see that how it has brought about the change. You know that is the reflective thinking, and uh, you can say it is a, it is trying to ask us to to be logical, hmm. not only the spiritual way of uh, thinking, but to be more logical. So. In this way, it is. It cuts across. It is not only addressing, uh, per se, believers, but all other people. Because when you sincerely reflect, 
and you sincerely think about it logically on, on some issues, then it is there is a likelihood that you come out with a, a, a better decision or a better understanding. Because you you know and you can grasp the issue and you know what the answer is because otherwise yes. you're just being told and you just have to accept it. Unless yes, it doesn't yes. make sense to you, it's 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 difficult for us to to do certain things. Isn't it? Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as Muslims, we always look to the um, Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So, how how did he he reflect, and and what were his practices? Well, <laughs> you know, that's uh, the status of the Holy Prophet, or for that matter, you can say all prophets of Allah they belong to a different category at all. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a different ballgame. The reason is that, you know, we cannot compare uh, the, the group of prophets, and for that matter, the saints of Allah and those who have their selves in the love of Allah with other philosophers or the worldly, you know, thinkers and philosophers and, and what have you. They, they are a different different category of people. And one thing about this group of people, that is the prophets of Allah, whether Jesus or Isaac or Moses, and on top of them, Holy Prophet Muhammad, all of them, they are a people that are created to benefit human beings, to benefit humankind. They are purposely created for a very high purpose. And for that matter, they are in the control of Allah the Almighty Himself, you see. And their their reflection, if we say reflect, it is a kind of, you know, it's a very small word, or I don't want to say uh, it's disrespectful in, in any way, but a kind of disrespectful also. They are in a different, you know, uh, I mean, level that they are they are doing. So their reflection is is for the matter, as a matter of fact, is talking to Allah the Almighty. Yeah. And Prophet Muzayah, Allah has emphatically mentioned it uh, in his writings that uh, the human beings, they, they, they do two types of talking. You know, when uh, Prophet Muzayah says that when uh, somebody is sitting idle, you may think that the person is sitting idle and he is not doing anything, but he's, as, as a matter of fact, he's talking. His mind is continuously thinking something, and he is thinking about something, he's talking to himself and whatever. And Prophet says that the prophets of Allah, they, they talk to their Creator, they talk to Allah the Almighty. So for their, their reflection is always the remembrance of Allah, zikra ilahi. So they are always engaged in that zikra ilahi. And for that matter, you know, if you read... Uh, a very uh, this book uh, of uh, his uh, autobiography or what do you call it uh, I, I, I am not remembering the name uh, of his book he has mentioned all those things and has his personal discourses and experiences that anytime he got a chance he just sat somewhere and he was just remembering and talking to his creator hmm. so the reflection of Holy Prophet Muhammad was the the talking to his creator that is the remembrance of Allah and as a result of that Allah's uh, light was always falling on him and he, giving him a new a new insight all the time so he was completely in a in a in a, what do you call it um, in the direct guidance of Allah the Almighty 
and this was as a result of that his uh, love of Allah and his remembrance and then and, uh, and uh, that was his reflection you can say his type of reflection that yeah. he used to do no definitely and, and you know prophets uh, are, are definitely in a different league um so it's it's like we've discussed it earlier in the show like it, it's easy to get into negative thoughts so how how what would, what advice could you give us that um, how can we ensure we do not fall into these negative thoughts when we <coughs> inwardly reflect yeah uh, the 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 writer of the Islam, as i earlier mentioned it it is a very uh, long discussion that Prophet Islam has uh, done and in that order, the Prophet has uh, advised that you always remember that Kalam, he is talking about the Kalam of Nas, the person to himself. He says it is of two types, as I said earlier. So Hazur said that if you continue talking to yourself, then there is a likelihood that you will go to, into the negative thoughts. Why? Because you will come under the influence of that Satan. You know, you start thinking of something bad that has happened to you or someone has done something to you. When you think about it, then the ill feeling starts coming in your, your, your heart. Then you start uh, having envy. Then sometimes you start having some hatred. Then you start having some... It depends on your thoughts that what will be the outcome of your, your, your thought process will determine the type of negativity that will come into your heart, whether it will be envy, whether it will be hatred or arrogance or whatever. So the Prime Minister says that if you continue doing that, then you will be, be accountable for that because you will not be able to repair this thing. So the best is that to save yourself from the negative thoughts, the best is that that you always talk to your Creator and you in, engage yourself into certain prayers and certain remembrance of Allah that will rather mellow your heart. Mm. It will soften your feelings about others because you you don't care. You don't care about those uh, minor issues when you are engrossed with the Creator, with, the, with your Creator, that is Allah Almighty. So that you you abstain from those negative thoughts by engaging uh, into those, uh, you know, positive thinking, like you do istighfar, you seek Allah's forgiveness because you start thinking about your own shortcomings. Then you also start thinking about, Prophet says, you start thinking about how Allah the Almighty has the, the, the absolute power to, to always benefit you and to always safeguard you from any kind of, you know, harm that may come, you know, in your way. So when you do that, that is that the positivity, the positivity continue increasing in your heart, and you you, you safeguard yourself. Wow, that was that was <laughs> that was powerful. <laughs> Definitely, and so like um, with with Islam's advice, you like, it gives us so much advice for life. And and um, what what Islam what what advice do we get from Islam about gratitude and reflective thinking? You kind of touched on it a bit, but yeah. It, it appears that all your questions are, you know, interrelated to each other. This <laughs> <laughs> is one big question. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Certainly, that is the advice, you know, 
like in one of his uh, poems, the Prime Minister of Islam says, "Atl andhi hai, gar nayre ilham na ho." That uh, you know, the wisdom is just blind. If it is not enlightened by by Allah's, it is not kindled by Allah's love, yeah. Allah's light, and that light comes through the prophets and uh, through his prophets and through his personal love. So there is no harm in philosophical thinking and uh, pondering over the the, the creation of heavens and earth and whatever that is even advised in the Holy Quran. But the the advice that Islam gives us. There is a very narrow path. So when you continue thinking that way, then remember that your wisdom does not give you the absolute truth unless you experience the love of your Creator and you try to engage yourself in those prayers that He should give you the the the, the, the true answer to your reflecting, to to your reflections, to your reflective thinking. So that is the advice that the, that Islam gives us, and the Prophet Islam has extensively explained in his writings, which are so marvelous that in short a short period of time you cannot even mention all of those. Imam Alim, lastly, I want to ask you about: um, Are there any prayers that can help us get the most of our thought process, um, specifically, you know, in the times that we live in, where? As you said, you know this. This when the promised Messiah, peace and blessings of Allah, uh, peace be upon him, was talking about. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people talking to themselves when they're alone. Um, all that that stress and that these mental health issues that we are facing because of the the things that surround us, the pressures of the society of work, family, and whatnot. Um, surely, exactly. in 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 the remembrance of God Almighty, in His words, in the words of the Prophet, is there anything for us to 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 recite or to 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 say? Yeah, I I think if I'm not wrong, Hazrat uh, Muslim Allah he once uh, you know delivered a sermon and uh, he uh, explained uh, the importance of the Sharif, that is the the uh, what do you call it. Uh, Praying uh, that How do we say it in English? Like uh, the, the salutation the sal- to the Holy Prophet yes, Muhammad. Yes. Salutation to the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallam. And also he added uh, istighfar, which is seeking Allah's forgiveness and uh, asking Him to you know to turn to Him again and again with uh, with uh, all humility. And then he also mentioned la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. That is. Uh, that there is no absolute power and there is nothing that that can overcome you but Allah Allah's power is always supreme mm-hmm. so when he mentioned these three things you know in his sermon then what uh, I can't recollect exactly who said it but he said that uh, who listened to these his uh, uh, sermon and he said that these things are some of those things we we do not just give it to people like that. They have to serve us for 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 many years and what and what. But you have just given them in just in just one sermon, so for free. <laughs> because he was he was so inspired that that these are the mysteries of life yeah. that you have just disclosed them to uh, it to them. And honestly speaking, you know, it should not be the the the, the word of our mouth when we are seeking. Uh, istighfar that is uh, Allah's forgiveness that you know it it will only work if we really confess you know the confession comes before seeking forgiveness 
Otherwise, it becomes like a useless thing. But if I say, maybe, oh, please forgive me. But in my heart, I know, or I have, I'm telling myself, oh, as for Aline, you are right. You are right. But this man, because he knows that he will not be happy if I if don't say it. It means that mm. this is not sincere. So, but if honestly, in my heart, I know that, yes, I confess that I am wrong. And then I, with all my humility, I seek Allah's forgiveness. Then there is a hope that Allah will shower his blessings. And there we had uh, Imam Alim, who was giving examples of uh, um, how the prophets used to self-reflect and how one, uh, as human beings, we need to reflect. And when we do realize our mistakes and how we look to repent and how we look uh, to seek forgiveness from God, he gave examples of how one should do that. But the last question um, Brother Raza asked uh, um, Imam Alim was about depression and too much self-reflection and thinking has been found to be linked to depression, to depression, less satisfaction in work and relationships and making people less in control of their lives. This is because this thinking is not leading to insight or knowledge uh, about yourself. It is simply letting you swallow in your emotion and turn you inward. Um, concluding this hour, uh, the Greek philosopher Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Opening verse reminds us that examining your life can be done alone or with others, but its focus must be towards God, not oneself. Too much inward reflection to discover yourself only fuels the ego. As the fourth leader of the Amdiya Muslim community, Hazrat Mr. Tahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul, pointed out, learning how to build complex thinking skills helps you to bring better thinkers. Ask the right question in the right way also helps. This may seem simple, but they require great wisdom to understand. For example, question asked by a little girl to His Holiness, Mr. Tahir Ahmed, in one of his Q&A sessions, and uh, I will play that uh, as soon as we come back after a short break and the news, um, and that will conclude our first hour. So do stay tuned, um, and when we come back, we will listen uh, to that brief Q&A. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Welcome back to Friday Afternoon Drive Time Show with myself, Kayum, where we are today reflecting over the whole year and this year, um, and today um, we are reflecting through the month of July um, on the Drive Time Show. And just before the break, um, I was concluding the first hour, and uh, <clears throat> where I had... Uh, um, where I was going through um, some of the points raised and mentioned by the fourth leader of the Amdi Muslim community, Azim Zatahiram, with may Allah have mercy on his soul, where he pointed out that learning how to build complex things, skills helps you to better thinkers, to be better thinkers. Asking the right questions in the right way also helps. This may seem simple, but they require great wisdom to understand. For example, a question asked by a little girl to his holiness in one of his question-and-answer sessions. So let's go and listen to this uh, question that was asked to the fourth caliph. My question is very simple. What like is the meaning are. of life? Huh? What is the meaning of life? This very clever of you to call this a simple question. <laughs> meaning of life. Well, in what sense would you like to ask, I mean, to, uh, to, to expect this answer? From religious point of view, from worldly point of view, from philosophical, from scientific, from whichever angle you want to look at it, 
You define that and I'll attempt to answer it. From the religious point of view. Okay. The simple meaning of life from religious point of view is a motion with of consciousness from a low state to a higher state, that is towards Allah. Life starts with a very vague consciousness. Lower you delve into the animal kingdom, lesser consciousness you will find. Rise towards man and the consciousness and sensitivity becomes more defined and clarified until you reach the point where you begin to speak and understand and the complicated mind of man appears. So it's a journey from lack of consciousness to consciousness. This is the meaning of life. And when it reaches that point where man is born and you have attained a platform from which next string is God, then religion begins. And then you... But the direction never changes. It is to more sensitivities, more refinement. And it's always a direct path towards Allah towards better understanding Allah and to refine yourself so that you come closer to Him. So this is the meaning of life in essence as I see it. What a wonderful and beautiful way His Holiness explained the meaning of life from a religious perspective to this, to, to, to this little girl. Um, and to conclude, I mean, His Holiness talked about how this is um, a journey. Life is a journey. This is the temporary life. Um, that is something that we forget. That is something we don't reflect upon. That this is the temporary life and the life after is the, the, the eternal life. So it is incumbent upon us to look and, and, and self-reflect and to, and, and to look at what we are doing and what we um, are thinking and to point a finger at ourselves before we look to point fingers towards others and to identify our own shortcomings uh, instead of pointing out other people's shortcomings. Uh, the Promised Messiah, uh, the founder of the Amdi Muslim community, always talked about self-reflection and His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Amdi Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Musur Ahmed, May Allah strengthen his hand. I remember, I recall in 2017-18, um, the, the final addresses, that the final speech, the final addresses he gave at the, the, the annual conventions in Germany and the United Kingdom, it was all based on self-reflection. He said, if you were to truth, be truthfully um, ref, self-reflect on your lives and on your everyday things, you will realize how many times you commit shirk. Shirk is associating partners with God Almighty. And you will spend so much time in correcting your shortcomings that you won't have time to point fingers at others. And, and that is the message I think that we should leave it with, that if we are going to be talking about me, myself and I, then let's do it in a manner which is is beneficial to us, that we should look upon our own mistakes, our own shortcomings, and look to correct them, and to find the solution, and to find uh, that that relationship with God Almighty that Imam Alim was talking about, and how he gave us um, methods and, and, and techniques in how 
we can uh, um, we can look to um, progress in our journey towards our final destination, and let's hope and pray that uh, we 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 are able to communicate effectively with God Almighty before we get to the doors of that eternal life. You're listening to The Drive Time Show with myself, Kayum. We are reflecting over the month of July. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue um, reflecting over what we talked about in July 2022. Do stay tuned. I'll be right back after a very brief message. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the final hour of the Drive Turf Show. Today, Friday 23rd of uh, December 2022, where we are reviewing the year and today we are reviewing July. And July was an extremely important month for Muslims, as it was also the month when the pilgrimage, the Hajj, as everybody knows it as in 22 happened. Um, pilgrimage is a significant aspect of many faiths. Um, during a pilgrimage, a person will journey often to a place of spiritual significance in order to gain a new understanding or to reconnect to their creator. Um, very soon, Muslims from all around the world will be gathering in the holy city of Mecca for the annual pilgrimage of Hajj. Hajj is the world's largest gathering with over two and a half million people making the pilgrimage to Mecca. It is a very significant event in the life of a Muslim. In fact, it's a pillar of Islam. It is, it is incumbent upon every single Muslim to perform this pilgrimage once in a lifetime should they be able to do it. And that's very significant that they should be able to do it. So what exactly is Hajj or the pilgrimage? What are its origins? What does it consist of and why is it so important for those who belong to the Islamic faith? Keep listening and we will try and explain and uh, we will uh, try and, uh, and uh, make it easy. So let's find out what are the origins of, of Hajj. The origins can be traced back to the time of Prophet Abraham, on whom be peace. In chapter 3 of the Holy Quran, we, say, we read, Surely the first house founded for mankind is that at Becca, abounding in blessings and a guidance for all peoples. Chapter 3, verse 97. It is important to note that Becca was the original name for the city of Mecca in Saudi Arabia. Muslims believe that the Kaaba, which is the building at the center of the Al-Haram Mosque in Mecca, was the very house, very first house of God likely built by Prophet Abraham, on whom be peace. Over time, this house of worship had fallen into disrepair and ruin. Prophet Abraham raised it from the ruins, which he discovered under divine guidance. And when he did um, find this site, um, he found foundations and he found stone. Um, and no stone would be there without any foundations, had it not been uh, a, a, um, a building or of some kind of structure from before. 
In chapter 22 of the Holy Quran, we read and call to mind when we assigned to Abraham the site of the house and said, Associate not anything with me and keep my house clean for those who perform the circuits and those who stand up and those who bow and prostrate themselves in prayer. Chapter 2 verse 27 He was commissioned by God Almighty to rebuild with the help of his son Ishmael. It is the same place where he had left his wife, his wife Hajar, and infant son Ishmael, again under divine instruction. Work on the house of God awaited attention until Ishmael grew to an age where he could be of some help. So both of them worked hard together to rebuild the house and restart the institution of pilgrimage. Before the advent of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The site was considered sacred and various Bedouin tribes would make a pilgrimage once a year in order to worship the idols they had placed inside this sacred house. With the advent of Islam, Hajj became a significant part of the faith. As I mentioned earlier, Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca, is, um, the, is, is one of the pillars of Islam. In fact, it's the fifth pillar of Islam which summarizes the main aspects of the faith. Ibn Umar relates that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, Islam is based on five articles, bearing witness that there is none worthy of worship except Allah, and that Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is the messenger of Allah. Observing prayer, paying the zakat, the pilgrimage to the house of Allah, and observing the fast of Ramadan, the month of fasting. The fifth act of Islamic worship is the performing of the pilgrimage to Mecca. A Muslim must perform the pilgrimage at least once in his lifetime if economic and political conditions are favourable. This is what I mentioned before. It is about being able to do it. Pilgrimage to the house is a duty laid upon people which they owe to God Almighty. Those of them who can afford the journey those who repudiate it should remember that Allah is independent of all creatures. Chapter 3, verse 98. In chapter 22 of the Holy Quran, it says, And proclaim unto men the pilgrimage. They shall come to thee on foot and on every lean camel, coming by every distant, deep track. Chapter 22, verse 28 That they may witness the benefits provided for them and may mention the name of Allah during the appointed days over the quadrupeds of the class of cattle that he has provided for them. So eat thereof and feed the distressed and the needy. Chapter 22, verse 29. Then let them accomplish their needful acts of cleansing and fulfill their vows and go round the ancient house. Chapter 22, verse 30. Muslims may also undertake an umrah, which is a lesser pilgrimage to Mecca at other times of the year. However, the Umrah is not a substitute for the pilgrimage and Muslims are still obligated to perform the pilgrimage at some other point in their life if they have the means to do so. According to the official publicized statistics between 2000 and 2019, the average number of attendees is 2,269 people and 145 per year. 
of which 1,564,710 come from outside Saudi Arabia and 671,983 are local people. So what happens during Hajj? The Hajj is performed during the Muslim month of Dhul Hajj or Dhul Hijjah which comes two months before the festival of Eid al-Fitr. Many rites performed during pilgrimage are rooted in the early days of the reconstruction of the house of God. The various ceremonies of the pilgrimage include entering into the state of Ihram by wearing two seamless white sheets. I'm sure you, when you see it on TV, a lot of people, when they even, even you know, um, the, the mainstream news media tend to pick up certain images of when the pilgrimage happened and you see all these people. Every, In fact, every single individual um, um, is wearing this seamless white sheet. This is done by the pilgrimage when they reach certain designated places close to Mecca. Saying of Talbiya starting at the place where the ihram is worn. The words consisting of what they say is, Here we come, O God, here we come. No partner have you, here we come. Indeed, Praise and blessings are yours, and the kingdom too. No partner have you. Here we come. On entry Mecca, the pilgrims performed the first tawaf, which is the circle, the circuit, which consists of going around the Kaaba seven times in an anti-clockwise direction. After completing the circuit, the pilgrims perform the sa'i, which consists of running between the two little hills of Safa and Marwa, located near the Kaaba. These are the two hills where, Hij- where Hajra run, ran in search of water when Prophet Abraham had to leave her there on divine command. After performing the Sa'i, the pilgrims moved to Mina, a plain located above about four miles east of Mecca, and they spend the night there. Next morning, the pilgrims leave for the plain of Arafat, located nine miles southeast of Mecca. They arrive there in the early afternoon, Say the combined Zuhar and Nasr prayers, which are the afternoon, um, just after midday, and the, the, the early afternoon prayers, and listen to a sermon given by the Imam. The pilgrims stay in the plain of Arafat only till on sunset. This is the same plain where the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, delivered his farewell sermon. After sunset, the pilgrims leave Arafat and come to a place called Muzdalifah. In the Holy Quran, this place is referred to as Mashar al-Haram, the sacred monument. On reaching Muzdalifah, the pilgrims say their combined Maghrib and Isha prayers, which is the, the, the prayer done at, after sunset and the evening prayer, and spend the night there. In the morning after saying the Fajr prayers, which is a prayer just before sunrise, the pilgrims return to Mina once again. The pilgrims reach Mina on the 10th day of Dhul Hijjah. This is the busiest day of the pilgrimage. The first ceremony that is performed at Mina is a throwing of small stones at Rami al-Jamar. In this ceremony, the pilgrims throw stones at the three pillars in a symbolic act of striking the devil. The tenth day of Dhul-Hijjah is also the day when pilgrims sacrifice their animals. This day is also celebrated all over the Muslim world as the festive day of Eid al-Adha. After performing the sacrifice, the pilgrims have their heads shaved or their hair clipped. After this, they emerge from the state of Ihram by wearing their everyday clothes. Clad in their everyday clothes, the pilgrims perform another circuit of the Kaaba. This tawaf is called tawaf ziyarat Before the tenth day of Zul-Hijjah ends, the pilgrims perform another sa'i between the hills of Safa and Marwa. 
After this, the pilgrims return once again to Mina, where they stay until the 12th or the 13th day of the Hijjah. During these two or three days, the pilgrims continue to perform the ceremony of Ramiyal Jamar, or the throwing of the stones. On the afternoon of the 12th of the Hijjah, or of the, of the third or of the 13th, the pilgrims return to Mecca for the last ceremony of the pilgrimage. This ceremony consists of the farewell circuit of the Kaaba, after which the entire pilgrimage is completed, and the pilgrims are free to go wherever they wish. So what is the importance of what we have just described as the whole process of performing the Hajj? But what is what is the importance of Hajj? The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, placed a great emphasis on the importance of Hajj, which is recorded in the sayings of the Holy Prophet. Abu Huraira relates that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was asked, which action is best? He answered, faith in Allah and his messenger. He was asked, and thereafter? He answered, faith in Allah and his messenger. He was asked again, and thereafter? He answered, striving in the cause of Allah Almighty. He was asked, and after that? He answered, pure pilgrimage. Abu Huraira relates that he heard the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, say, he who performs a pilgrimage without indulging in vain talk or committing any default returns from the pilgrimage, as pure as he was on the day his mother bore him. Abu Huraira relates that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, Umrah followed by another Umrah atones for that which is between the two, and the only reward of the pilgrimage is paradise. Hazrat Aisha, the wife of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, I asked, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, asked, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Messenger of Allah, we consider that striving in the cause of Allah is the best deed? Then shall we not go forth in the cause of Allah? He answered, the best striving in the cause of Allah for you is the pilgrimage. She further relates that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, Allah does not relieve more people from chastisement of the fire on any day than that of the day of Arafat. Ibn Abbas relates that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, Umrah performing during Ramadan equals the pilgrimage, or equals pilgrimage in my company. A woman asked the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, messenger of Allah. The pilgrimage has been imposed by Allah on his servants at a time when my father has reached extreme old age and has not the strength to ride an animal. Shall I perform the pilgrimage on his behalf? He answered, yes. Laqid ibn Amir relates that he came to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and said, My father is a very old man who has not the strength to perform the pilgrimage, or Umrah, or to undertake the journey. The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, Perform the Hajj and Umrah on behalf of your father. Ibn Abbas relates that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, encountered a party of mounted men at Roha and asked them, who are you? They answered, Muslims. And who are you? He said, Messenger of Allah. A woman from among them lifted a boy up to him and asked, Can this one go to pilgrimage? He said, Yes, and you will have the reward. Anas relates that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, performed the pilgrimage on a camel, which also carried his provisions. But what is the reason behind all these rites? The great pilgrimage demonstrates the universality of Islamic injunctions regarding the practice of religion. 
one finds the institution of pilgrimage in all religions of the world, but the sites for pilgrimage are scattered at different places in one or more countries. One does not find a single central place where all the followers of a religion must visit at least once in their lifetime. Amazingly, in Islam, we find exactly a place in Mecca where Muslims from all over the world are expected to gather and spend about 10 days entirely dedicated to the memory of God. The pilgrims come from all countries, all nations, all races and all ages. Men, women and children, they all gather once a year for a fantastic rally, sometimes running into millions. This grand display of universality is seen nowhere else in any other religion. Let's go and listen to a, uh, an interview we did with Dr. Tarek Bajwa, a fellow presenter on Drive Time. He has performed Hajj. So let's go and listen to what he said. How do you perform Hajj anyway? You know, in the in the first place, from you know, from the start to the finish. What is the whole experience, Dr. Sahar? I know, I know, you performed uh, four four Hajj in your lifetime. As well. may Allah the Almighty accept all of them Amen. and enable you to perform many more. Um, but uh, tell us, because you know that that <coughs> being book smart is one thing, but then having that first hand experience uh, is also you know a completely different thing as well. Tell us. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, as I, as I uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, you know there is there is always an anxiety when you don't know about something. Yeah, yeah. And that is uh, that is the logic behind why do you fear to go out in the dark? Hmm. You know, if there is hmm. dark. Um, you 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 have apprehension to yeah. go out in that day Naturally, because you don't know what is there. Yeah, what's going to happen? So you uh, presume things, you predict things, you you think, uh, and sometimes you think of the worst that that yeah. can happen. Yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, but of course, uh, you know, Hajj is something. Yeah, and and you are very very well aware that when we were in Pakistan. We couldn't even dream of you can't having, you, you, you know, can't even perform, yeah performing Hajj. Um, so if your desire is to be fulfilled, you know mm. that is you know that is always that I think every Muslim has a desire because five times a day, even more than that, whenever you stand before God Almighty to say your prayers, you are standing in the direction, in the of, direction this, of the of the Kaaba. This Kaaba, which is which is a, a a square building, it's not exactly square, but a rectangular building, but it's yeah. called Kaaba. It's a cube. So, you know, so so your your attachment with is for with Kaaba is lifelong. Okay, yeah. and you always dream of that. You know would. There be a day when I would be there. I could see it physically see, there in that place. Yeah, in that <laughs> in that uh, place. Literally. So it, it's always a dream. So when it says going to be fulfilled, then um, uh, of course you know this is uh, this is something uh, which is beyond imagination. People who uh, who are in in those in in Pakistan, particularly the those who belong to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well. Um, uh, there are certain areas where you know there is there are restrictions and, um, and therefore though you you don't even think of that that this is possible. Mm -hmm. Although you know they, when as I mentioned earlier the people do raise objections. Why didn't the you know the the this Khalifa didn't perform Hajj mm -hmm. or the Promised Messiah mm -hmm. didn't perform yeah. Hajj? But but this is because of uh, certain restrictions because they are not allowed to uh, even if they they were able to afford to. Mm -hmm. But uh, having said that. 
Now, the first caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Al-Hajj Hakim Ali Nuruddin, the second caliph, the second caliph. Uh, they, they did perform um, the Hajj more than once. Mm. Uh, and the Promised Messiah did not perform his Hajj, but he, somebody, somebody on his behalf, on his behalf did behalf, perform yeah, Hajj. Yeah. Um, again, with the rest of the Khulafa as well, as far as I know, all of them, somebody has performed on their behalf. Mm. Uh, the, the so it, it is something which, you know, everybody desires, provided the, the things allow us. So so the things, when when you are allowed to, so the first opportunity you get, you know, you want to avail that. So um, it, it was in, in year two, 2000 when, when I got my first job, uh, in UK. Mm. So the first thing I wanted to, even before joining my job, um, I, I wanted to go for, for, mm. for the Hajj. And I got the opportunity, Alhamdulillah. Is, uh, yeah. how, uh, how old uh, were you? Uh, <laughs> oh, well, I, I don't know, really. <laughs> I have to calculate that one. So this is 20 years ago. Mm. So 20 years ago will be how much? 45, 44, 45. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so you you wanted to me to tell you how, you know the, how I, I think I can take you from because the Hajj is going to start tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Although yeah. they have recently changed the um, the procedure to apply for Hajj um, because now there is a, there is a, a website which is called Mutawaf mm. um, on which you have to go and you have to register and then if they allow you because they have reduced the quota from twenty five thousand for UK to 12,000 now. Mm. So obviously not everybody is, is being allowed. Uh, previously mm. they used to have uh, you know plenty of spaces to go. Yeah. And you could book through a, a tour operator. Mm. So the tour operators, uh, and it depends on, uh, depend on, the t- on uh, you know, which kind of um, uh, sort of package you want to book mm. uh, as uh, our one of the guests was telling that the package is, is you can get everything in that package and it's usually very All useful to have a package mm. and the price varies from like uh, starting from 2500 to, uh, to 10000 12000 well wow. um, but that's quite the, a big difference there is yeah. a huge difference yeah. but the thing is that yeah just just for those who are interested to go there um, when you're looking at the package, you have to see that, uh, you know, how far is the hotel where you are staying? Mm. That makes a huge difference, you know, where you're st- yeah, staying. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And yeah. the closer to the haram, closer to the Kaaba you stay, course, or closer to the Masjid Nabi you stay, um, um, the, obviously it is going to be of more course, expensive. Second thing is the, um, again, when you're looking at a Hajj package, they offer you that during the Hajj days, where would you like to stay? If you want to stay in Mecca during those five days as well, mm. that makes it more expensive yeah. because yeah. it has you have the luxury of using Be, your hotel the, when yeah. you are when, you're, when you're, you're coming yeah. back for tawaf ziyarat. Um, um, whereas they have alternate uh, accommodation in a place called Azizia or Shisha. Mm. These are the places close to Mina, mm. where for five days they make you stay there. When when you are actually staying in the tent, but you you but you they are you are accommodated there for the temporarily, mm. and then they bring. So so you actually the tour operators what they do is that they rotate you. They take one group to Medina, and uh, meanwhile an, another group to Mecca, and then they alternate it. And then there is a third uh, party, which during the Hajj days, one group will be staying in Shisha or Azizia, mm. and then they will be rotating them to, to Mecca and bringing them back to Mecca. So it's like 
three. Right. So if you choose the shisha or azizia one, it becomes much cheaper. Mm. Um, so it will be like. But it will be a little bit further from. But ten thousand, yeah. you know, with the, with the ten thousand, you you have got the most luxurious, uh, you know, stay because you've got the best hotels yeah. and you've got nice food. Anyway, Mecca and Medina nice anyway. food is not a problem. Yeah, it's freely problem. available. It is, uh, uh, you know, it is of your choice, whatever yeah. you want to um, use, and you don't have to worry about like the hygienic things. Of yeah. Apart from uh, water, anyway, it is not water, available. The other mm. other water you you can't drink from the tap. You have yeah. to drink from the bottled water. Mm. So that is that is one thing which is essential. So now now you have to apply on. You have to register, and if they allow you, then you can make your. Because the next step is that once they have given you uh, the the permit that you can go, then you have to book. And what that booking involves is that you have to have an accommodation. You have to have pay for the transport. Um, before uh, going to to for the for the purpose mm. of Hajj, mm-hmm. so that is essential. That is a requirement by the Hajj Ministry of Saudi Arabia that anybody visiting for the purpose of Hajj should have an accommodation and should have the transport mm. available to them. Mm. So otherwise, they won't allow you right. there. Right. Okay, so so that is why this. Uh, but uh, you know, normally when you book for that and you have booked a, a good package, uh, and also uh, during that that there is. The transport is uh, like, uh, which is essential is that you have to travel between Mecca and Medina, which usually is by road. Mm. Okay. Mm. And if you use the, um, actually there is no other transport apart from, you know, the, the Hajj, during the Hajj days, mm. apart from the, the one they provide, and these are coaches, and they, they are right. they're nice coaches, there is no problem. Mm. They used to be when we, I, I went first time, I remember it was, <laughs> most difficult journey I, I ever had was mm. was that journey because right. it took from normally it takes like four five five to six hours, um, but um, that journey took us twelve hours. Right, and uh, it was the whole night, and we were very tired. And we, on on mm. on arrival, we had to perform the umrah at the t- time. Mm. So so that is one that transport is included, and then they transport you um, from uh, Mecca to Madi uh, to to Mina. Where you have to stay in the tents, and then from Minan you have to go to uh, Arafat, and from Arafat to Mazdalfa, Mazdalfa to um, Mina, and and actually coming back for Tawaf Ziyarat. Uh, let me go through in the sequence so that you can understand it better, because obviously, um, because I have been there, so it's it's quite it's clear it, to me what I'm be, talking oh, about. Yeah. But somebody who is who's very new. Mm. So what once you have booked with a you know uh, with a package or you know whatever whatever source you have booked in what what you need to do is when you book a ticket uh, then it's in your intention some people go to Medina first and mm. uh, it is but, convenient yeah. when you are going for Umrah it is convenient for you even for Hajj uh, you if you can manage to because it is much easier on the airport that mm. uh, it it is quicker right um, but uh, normally they take you uh, to to Mecca so if you are going to Mecca, then the, obviously you have to be in Ihram from the places which are called Mikat. Mm. Mikat are the appointed places, a certain areas. They are like some of them are thirty miles, sometimes forty miles um, away from the Kaaba. The, the so, Kaaba, so yeah. it is in all directions. So it is in a circumference. So somebody coming from from south, from Yemen, uh, there's a place yeah. called Yalamlam. Yalamlam, yeah. Somebody who is traveling from Medina. 
they have a place called uh, Zulhulafa that is that is called Mikat that's mm. where you the, the northern side but if you are yeah. going by air obviously you reach you have to land at Jeddah in the city isn't it that's so the so they you already uh, cross Mikat while mm. you are traveling while you're traveling so either in the aeroplane they can they announce that you can wear your ihram this is you are reaching Mikat so mm. they give you time um you can do that or you can do at the airport uh, before you, actually uh, before you, before you, you or you can yeah. you can actually what we you have to do is that you have to say two nafals to uh, to pray uh, you know two rakats two of prayers, of prayers yeah. and then um, and and this rakats of prayers you you before that you wear your the men they wear two sheets which are seamless two white sheets two white sheets mm. uh, one for the lower body one for the upper body and the women um, they just take a shower take a bath uh, like men also do and but they don't have to uh, wear any sheets they they wear their normal clothes mm. Mm. and they uh, uh, you know uh, they, perf- they perform namaz with a covered head mm. but then they take off the cloth from their head mm. because that is the part of ihram mm. and again you you can't wear the socks or underwear mm. um you have to wear the chappal chappal means that the upper part of your feet should be bare mm. they should be visible mm-hmm. so sandals isn't it the sandals sandals, sandals yeah. are ideal for that so you you perform uh, you know uh, you have done your wuzu and then you uh, wear your ihram and then you say to nakatnakals after to uh, your prayers then you take off the 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 sheet from your head and you you pray with the raise you raise your hands to say mm. say your prayers and after that uh, the, uh, you make an intention that's part of ihram mm. that i am you know I, I am uh, that i i have perform. the intention yeah. to perform umrah or hajj whatever mm. you your intention is in in the state of ihram you are not allowed to you can take a shower you can take a bath you can change your ihram as well mm. you are not allowed to uh, to comb your hair mm. you are not allowed to do wear any makeup cut or it, any perfume yeah. um you can wash uh, you know be, uh, some people say with the soap they say simple soap is fine you can yeah. you can use not that uh, perfume uh, not uh, not perfume yeah. okay um cut your nails uh, as well yeah. yeah and although there there are certain uh, yeah you can't cut your nails yeah. you can't cut your your hair your hair uh and uh, uh, so this is this is a state of ihram mm. and uh, the one requirement for ihram is that as soon as you you start uh, you wear ihram you start talbiya talbiya you earlier heard from one of the guests that is that you start saying labbaik allahumma labbaik labbaik allah sharika lak labbaik innal hamda wan ni'mata lak wal mulk la sharika lak so this is uh, continuously repeated and of course mm-hmm. this is saying that i am here our god i am mm-hmm. here so so this is part of ihram so once you have done that and you go on the plane then that's fine you can you know just just go to jeddah and then go to to mecca so when when you are going for hajj for example you know you have to be there today if you are performing this <laughs> year's hajj because yeah. the first thing you have to do there is to perform an umrah before starting hajj it's not called exactly umrah you can do an umrah beforehand but it's also called tawaf the, the first tawaf you have to do tawaf e qudum that when you go there so it's, it's part of umrah as well because the, when you go for for hajj there are two types of hajj there are three types the three, uh, yeah. there are three types yeah, 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 yeah. one yeah. for the people who are locally living there yeah. uh, which is uh, which is different from it's called hajj mufrad but the others were hajj tamatto and hajj kiram tamatto is that when you go in the sahram and you do umrah first mm. 
Now you take off your ihram. Take off your ihram, yeah. And then you perform. Mm. But that you can only do if you are going a few days before. Yeah. Obviously, if you are going today, you course, are not going to course. take off your ihram because tomorrow yeah. you need to go for hajj. So, um, so when you have this limited time that you have gone, for example, today you you reach there, then you perform umrah and you don't take off your ihram. In the mm. same ihram, you continue with the hajj, and that mm. is called hajj kiran. Mm. So, um, so, so once you are uh, you when once you are in Mecca, what you do is that uh, you you go to you know after obviously you go to your hotel, you settle down, and then you you go to uh, to Kaaba, and uh, Kaaba is uh, uh, you know it is in a valley, mm. as in the Holy Quran it's mentioned that it is the valley of Becca. Mm. Yeah, it's a yeah. valley because it's a, the ground is much lower than the surrounding yeah, area. The surrounding Nowadays, area. anyway, they have built so many you know, built, buildings yeah. around. Even Hanakaba, yeah. they have lifted it. Yeah. But you have to go downstairs, at least two steps of stairs uh, before you reach and see Hanakaba mm. directly. So the first sight when mm. you see Hanakaba, of course, uh, as you mentioned, you can st- stand there, watch because it has such an impact on you. Because you have been thinking of this Kaaba for so long, and right your whole life, isn't it? <laughs> and the thing is that it's you know there is an impact of uh, grandeur and and uh, uh, greatness mm. of Kaaba. It's just, it has an impact on your heart. So you say that right, this is the house of God. So you pray, and then after you say your prayers, then you you go in, and and you do the circuits. These are the seven circuits you have to do anti-clockwise. You start with the Hajri, uh, you go in a line. Which is uh, you know line of Hajri Aswad. Mm. You start and go anti-clockwise seven times. Mm. So depending on where you, s- you where get a chance. Yeah. But the closer yeah. um, I am tried most of the time touching the Kaaba and yeah. I go all around. Uh, and uh, but um, to uh, to kiss or uh, touch um, Hajri Aswad, particularly during Hajj, is very very difficult. It's very very, very, very difficult, difficult. Yeah. Um, because of so many people of there course, and yeah. and it's very risky as well. But you can point out, and it is also a sunnah that you can just point out from far away. Yeah. You point towards you and point, just kiss yeah. your hands. You can kiss your hands as mm. well. So while you're performing um, this uh, uh, this circuit, what you do is that uh, when you're wearing your haram, you t- you, in the first three circuits, you, t- you take off the sheet from your right shoulder mm. and put it underneath it. And after three, uh, after you're done three seconds uh, from the fourth from the circuit, fourth you one. can put it back mm. o- over the for your the shoulder. men's, isn't it? And for the for the men, yeah. of course, the of women course. are wearing their normal clothes. Wear, yeah. And uh, during these first three circuits, also you have a special way of walking around Kaaba, mm. and that is that you you, you walk with the uh, like with a stiff neck and raised chest, and uh, as if you are a very arrogant person. <laughs> okay, and and the, and the logic behind is that uh, you know um, the companions of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him. So. You know, some 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 of them, they uh, once they were walking like that, and that was after they had uh, they had come from battle come and from they a, come uh, from a, yeah. battle. With where they had won, obviously they had defeated the, and so so somebody asked, why are you walking like that? And he said that because you know I'm proud of that the unity of God has become 
uh, has uh, uh, dominated, uh, over, been dominated yeah. over the, the non-believers. And uh, the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, so, said so. that it is Allah likes that. Allah likes, you know, that. likes in, that. In yeah. this specific time. In this yeah. specific time. Yeah, yeah. not all the, no, all the not time. Not all the time, yeah. But it's, uh, it's that. Um, so although it's against uh, the normal humility, which is expected out of you, but this this is the so So first three, because you are, you're showing to the others that I am before God and God mm-hmm. has given me this success and victory. Um, so after that, you after you complete the seven circuits, then you do uh, two rakat prayers in front of. Uh, it's called Makame Ibrahim. That's mm. the the footsteps. You the know, they have put the stone uh, of which they say it was the uh, Prophet Ibrahim, Ibrahim. Islam, Prophet. Yeah. In fact, the whole of Hajj is following the footsteps of Hazrat Ibrahim mm. and his wife Hazrat Ajra mm. um, what they did what she did particularly many of the events yeah. of Saeed particularly after Hazrat Hajra uh, what she did when she was walking up and down the Safa and Marwa so after you've done your um, yeah, before even you do your t- two nuffles you have to uh, it is also a sunnah that you uh, you take uh, Abe Zamzam mm. there's a Zamzam water is Zamzam available water. there yeah. there used to be a well which I've, I've gone down and seen that and but now they they put uh, lots of uh, uh, sort of uh, cans where you mm. can get it and and you drink and there is a pre- uh, there is a protocol which you follow and uh, while even drinking that and you say prayers mm. and and there are special prayers which you say allahumma inni asaluka ilman nafia wa rizqan wasia wa shifaa min kulli da'in this is a specific prayer where, while you are you're standing and you 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 are drinking uh, zamzam water facing facing the kaaba facing the kaaba yeah. so uh, after you do two rakats then you go to uh, to safa, safa where you start the safa uh, sai sai is these uh, you know the the seven rounds between safa and marwa in um, you know following the uh, footsteps of hazrat hajra mm. when she was looking for some help when yeah. hazrat ismail was down there and uh, a young child um so while you are doing that you know very interesting is that there is certain area where you have to run yeah yeah and, the, yeah, yeah. and it's the men who run yeah. although they are following the sunnah of a, of a woman of a woman <laughs> and women are not allowed to run mm. <laughs> because all, obviously and another thing is that uh, women they don't cover their face while they are in the haram mm. because they are although they are wearing normal clothes but they don't cover while they are performing hajj because uh, uh, hajj is a place where you know nobody has any other thoughts mm. uh, they just, it's just they're, one they're specific thing yeah, definitely, specific. Definitely. so this is this is one umrah they perform but I, I think uh, because time is short I'll just go down there mm. after you perform your uh, umrah sai yeah. uh, after sai normally when you perform umrah at marwa you, you finish and, and this is about three and a half kilometers. So one mm. round is one kilometer, and so each one is counted as one. So it's three and a half kilometers. So you end at Marwa, where you can you you say your uh, you know your supplication, and then you are allowed to if you have to take your ihram off. Normally, then you have to sh- to sh- get your hair either shaved off or, or, sh- or trimmed. Yeah. Your trim. Yeah. Without that, you can't take your ihram off. Mm. So, so that that's where your umrah ends. But if you are performing the hajj next, uh, your hajj kiran, then then you don't do that. Of course, but you yeah. remain in that, that ihram. So next day, which is tomorrow. So what people will do is that they've done this first umrah. There's called the wafikudum. So now tomorrow they will all eighth uh, of July. They will all go to Mina. Uh, now you you, you say your say your fajr prayers in Mecca, but you say your zohar, asr, maghrib, isha, 
and the next day that's the day after mm-hmm. 9th of silhaj mm-hmm. that will be uh, uh, that that will be 8th of july mm-hmm. so tomorrow is 7th of july isn't it tomorrow is 7th, 7th yeah. Of, yeah. yeah so um, so 8th of july they will go to um, to arafat after fajr prayers Okay, so After performing the Fajr prayers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So five prayers are to be performed. So Mina, they've got beautiful tents, particularly for the European tents. They, they have very good arrangement. Mm. There is no problem with the toilets, although they are. You have to use. Uh, you have to Public be toilets, get used to be. Yeah. You know, it's a. It's a, like a uh, community toilets. It's yeah. all together, but they are clean. Mm. They are not dirty. Okay, they have a running water, and it's all the time available, and it's not so bad. That, considering the number of people who use of that, course. and the tents are very nice, and of yeah. of course they provide you food within the tents as well, and uh, you. Um, so it's not a bad experience. They have over the years they have uh, developed, uh, developed yeah. those tents, and they're all uh, air conditioned tents, and you don't have that to worry about that. Um, but uh, the transport to Arafat because everybody has to everybody be there. That's the thing. Arafat, everybody has to Arafat, be there. Arafat, Day that was be, that is going to be the eighth of July. Mm. Um, all two point five million people have will to, actually to be move to. So there, just imagine yeah. they have to be transported there, Absolutely. and the distance between you know Mina is about three miles from Mecca, and uh, Arafat is about nine miles. So so there's another like six mm. miles from Mina, mm. but it depends on which end of Mina are you, yeah, because Mina itself true. is yeah. like three miles. So. So, so you everybody has to be in Arafat, and it is obligatory, or for your Hajj to be accepted, that one that you are in a haram, second that you have, uh, you have, you have to be in Arafat at least, even for a minute, hmm. between the sunset, and the uh, and the you know after Fajr. Mm-hmm. So you have to be in the, and and the the obviously you say your prayers in Arafat. There is a sermon as well. You can hear to the sermon, um, and uh, this time probably it will be Friday as well. So there will be Friday sermon mm-hmm. as well. But um, uh, the uh, obligatory thing is some something which uh, which you stand and supplicate to God. Stand facing Kaaba. Mm-hmm. Kaaba and uh, even if you have stood for a few minutes and you have paid, then your uh, hajj is acceptable. Mm. Okay, so that's that, one that of the main to, conditions. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. that is that's the thing that you 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 stand up. Okay, for for prayers. Now here, what what happens is that after you can't leave Arafat before sunset, you have to leave Arafat after sunset. Mm. But you don't perform Maghrib prayers. You don't perform Maghrib prayers. Yeah, yeah. So you come to another um, area. Which is uh, a ground which is called Muzdalifa. Muzdalifa, um, from Arafat, you come uh, after sunset, but you say you combine your Maghrib and, and Isha, Isha prayers Isha. at Isha time. Hmm. Okay, because yeah. you have to combine obviously, them. Obviously, because, you because have to, the, the because time, you you're not going to get that time anyway. And uh, so you, 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 you stay there under the you know uh, there's no the there's no roof under, under the, the sky, sky. Yeah. so you can you can actually see the stars there yeah. and you can say. so uh, so you know th- this is everybody lies everywhere because there are so many people and yeah. there's a, space still becomes limited uh, and one thing w- you, you do there in Mazalfa is that you you um, you get the pebbles because you have to throw the pebbles onto the, onto the on the s- satan. satan you know yeah. there are three satans sitting yeah. in in mina as well and you have to uh, you have to stone them so on the very first day, obviously next day, Muzdalfa, you stay the night after Fajr prayers, you you go back to Mina, hmm. and Mina, of course, your tent is there. But the the, the uh, there are three things you have to perform there. 
which is important. Of course, it is Eid day. That's the 10th yeah, of the Lord. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that is Eid day. So you have to, uh, one, you have to um, do Rami. Rami means throwing stone throwing at the, the Satan. Yeah. But there are three Satan. You only throw stone on the, on the biggest Satan mm. on the day one. Okay, so only one. Oh, so no, you only no. need seven for that day. Mm. Uh, you you count pebbles, but you, <laughs> yeah. you collect and <laughs> and throw. So 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 they have actually improved on this uh, the certain area where they do rummy. There used to be lots of accidents and people used to get killed. You know, in the in the beginning, mm. and I have had that experience when we went early days that people, mm. if somebody falls down, people will yeah. you know he will be crushed. But now they have made it beautiful. So now you will say, yeah, these satans are so lucky they live in the air-conditioned halls <laughs> and they've got like five stories and uh, yeah. and they, it is all one way and they are quite wide and, and it's easy it's to easy do. For, it's, it's not easy very difficult at all. So you throw at the stones. So what what they they used to have two by two foot uh, um, pillar. Hmm. Now they have extended it to 200 feet wall. <laughs> uh, so it's yeah. used both sides. Yeah. So it has been multiplied like, uh, you know, 200 times. So after you um, after you have done this uh, the first day, then you you go back and you confirm though that your sacrifice animal has been sacrificed. Mm. Of course, there are arrangements that you can pay into mm. the counters and they do uh, sacrifice for. Although the slaughterhouse is exactly uh, where Hazrat Ibrahim alayhisalam put down his son, Hazrat Ismail, uh, with the intention of slaughtering him. Mm. Um, so th- the slaughterhouse actually is made at the same place. In right. is close to Mina. is is there. You can actually right. go there and, and see the animals there as well. So uh, once you are sure that the Qurbani uh, uh, has been done, the sacrifice has been done, you have to confirm, your agent confirms that, then you have to shave off your head or you can trim your hair. They say that if you shave shave off your head, the the, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu um, prayed for you for three times. Mm. Whereas if you trim your hair, he prayed only for one, once for those people. So that's the difference. Uh, and the philosophy, you know, the whole there is a philosophy behind Hajj, and it is it is that you become like a lover mm. who 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 forgets about his own beauty about, yeah. or taking care of himself. You know, he doesn't comb his hair, doesn't use, uh, you know. Um, and 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 one beauty he has the hair is like mm. a beauty and he just shaves it off. Shaves it off. Even women as a symbol they also cut a li- a, a, a portion of their hair as well. Mm. So um, after that you can take off your ihram. So you are in normal clothes now. Mm. But one more most important thing which is also an obligation of Hajj is tawaf ziyarat. Now you have to yeah. that same day you have to go back to Mecca and uh, perform tawaf ziyarat. The wafi ziyarat is not performed in the ihram. It is without ihram, your mm. normal clothes. But uh, you can say, you can do the wafi ziyarat within, from 10th to 12th Zilhaj. Uh, some people say that you can perform throughout the Zilhaj as well, but mm. that is, but normally people try to perform on the same day, 10th, but you can say up to 12th. So the wafi ziyarat is when you go back to Mecca. Now, to go back to from Mecca, Mina to, the, uh, Mecca, yeah. Mina to Mecca, Mina to Mecca yeah. which is about three to four miles. Mm. No, the transport you can imagine they are jammed there of is course, no traffic of course there is no transport available yeah. so you have to prepare mentally to walk that four miles mm. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So because that's the easiest because thing. Because that's, so that's, that's the sometimes that's the that that is the most difficult thing. So mm. so the so so the maximum I have walked is like twenty five thousand steps that mm. day. So that that becomes about eleven twelve miles. Okay, that day. Yeah. So um, you reach there, and that is the most busy day course, as well yeah. because on all levels there are like five levels you can do perform circuits, and there are seven levels where you can perform the say, but they are still very this, busy. Yeah. Uh, but it's manageable. Still, you, it, you can do it. There's no harm. But when you reach there, then you have to come back to Mina for the next two days, um, 11th and 12th, when you have to do the Rami again on three Satans, seven mm. stones each. Mm. So you have to, 21, you need 21 for one day, 21 for the other day, 42 plus seven, 49 stones are the minimum you require. Mm. But uh, some people can stay if you if the sun is set on the 12th of Zilhaj while you are in Mina you have to stay another day mm. so either 12th or 13th Zilhaj you have so, so that's what so once you have done that then you uh, then you come back to Mecca and before leaving Mecca you do another tawaf which is called tawaf e vida vida means saying goodbye vida means saying goodbye yeah. uh, and that yeah. completes your hajj so hajj does not include going to Medina yeah yeah that's uh, okay. I was going to ask uh, yeah. that as so well Medina is A not part of hajj that. Hajj finishes after you know after you have uh, you have uh, performed the you know Rami on twelfth uh, of Silaj you come back and you do the Tawaf Kadum. Uh, no Tawaf Kadum is the first one and Tawaf Veda is the last one. So the obligatory things three things are obligatory: Haram, Tawaf Ziyarat, and staying in Arafat for you know for some time. Mm. So if you have done that, you, the, your Hajj uh, is you know but it, it depends on you know it's Allah who accepts your Hajj because it was uh, uh, there's a famous incident that. Um, Allah accepted Hajj because of somebody who did not perform Hajj because when he knew that his neighbor was hungry and um, and she was a lady who were uh, boiling some water with nothing and the children were hungry, he mm-hmm. gave all the money to this lady and mm-hmm. Allah showed somebody that you know it is because of him that Hajj of everybody has been accepted. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. Allah who accepts. I mean, it. But it's uh, every moment there you you it's it's very emotional. Every moment you spend there, there for the Muzdalifa, the um, you know it's a, it's a lot of it's intense. It's physically uh, demanding, mm. uh, but because of you know. It's just like the the beautiful example with the promised Messiah Islam has quoted it. It's like a lover, you know, a lover he lost he, he he has lost his senses out out of love. So he he goes around his beloved's house and he goes round and round and sometimes kisses the st- footsteps and sometimes you know uh, so that he can see he can um, make or talk see to his beloved to to, yeah. to his beloved. So so it's the same state of affairs. So he's not actually um, so you don't. You don't. You don't feel it. As uh, much. You you don't like worship the house. Yeah. You you worship the the owner of the, the house. <laughs> uh, but this yeah. reminds you of him because you are there and you yeah. are there and and the, and your supplication is going to be accepted. Uh, you you are sure and uh, and of course you have heard so many experiences when you know all your prayers are accepted uh, um, when you are there and then the sense of uh, being close to God. And being purified, and then um, uh, you 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 become so attached to you know you ask one question why do you keep keep going back you go and have that experience mm-hmm. and when you get it, you get so attached to Kaaba mm-hmm. you don't want to go anywhere yeah, else okay. <laughs> and and another thing which you can experience as well is when you are in, in Mecca or you are in Medina you forget about the world. Mm-hmm. 
nothing you can, you, you don't remember. You're in such a harmony and peace and, you know, it's such an atmosphere that uh, you are lost in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this this lady was very beautifully saying that you know you were thinking oh maybe the holy prophet w- must have uh, you know sat here and and then um, I forgot to mention that of course when you are going for Hajj you you also go and see Ghare Hira you see Ghare Sor course, yeah. you see um, you know this time we got the opportunity to even to go to Taif and I was looking at the place where uh, Hazur was you know took rest when he was mm-hmm. being thro- yeah, stones were thrown on him back, yeah. and then he was presented with this in this uh, garden um, some grapes and and mm-hmm. the the person who accepted, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, the first bath he he got there, uh, who became a Muslim, mm. and uh, Adas was his name, and and there is a mosque they have made mosque Adas there.